much. A great privilege, uh, always a lovely privilege to um, come and uh, share with you and uh, get away from home, although uh, I'm slightly sad because this morning at Bowley it's our, it's our breakfast service, so um, I've not had my bacon. So, um, but apart from that, it's very lovely to um, be with you. I sometimes come and talk about uh, work that I do as a volunteer with uh, Release International in, uh, in Pakistan. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that this morning because uh, I haven't been able to get back to Pakistan for four years. So I'm hoping to go back possibly next spring. But I have brought the latest issue of the Release International magazine. So it's on the table by the door at the back if you would like to um, take one. Uh, please do, so I don't have to take them home again. And uh, you'll also know that I, I write stories. I have a thing called Turn the Page. I write and publish stories to try and encourage people to think about life and faith. And I've brought a bunch of uh, books with me, two of which may be particularly relevant at the moment. Uh, this one I wrote last year, a book for Remembrance Sunday uh, called Greater Love. It's 12 stories exploring themes of, of sacrifice and the ultimate sacrifice that inspires all others, so that's a great little giveaway. And then this one's just been reprinted, a book for Advent, What Are You Waiting For? Uh, 25 stories for each day of Advent, exploring the meaning of Advent and Christmas. So if those are helpful to you, do please um, uh, come and buy them. They're very cheap, they're mostly a pound, apart from the ones that aren't. <laughs> so, and one of them is one ninety nine, but I haven't got any pennies, so uh, don't expect change. Uh, anyway, we are in uh, Joshua, uh, chapter 22. If you have a Bible, do you please turn to uh, Joshua chapter 22. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read the first nine verses because we're going to focus on, uh, on those. But uh, Joshua chapter 22 uh, from verse 1. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a very long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given your brothers rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To obey his commands. To hold fast to him. And to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went to their homes. To the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in Bashan. And to the other half of the tribe, Joshua gave land on the west side of the Jordan with their brothers. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with your great wealth, with large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide with your brothers the plunder from your enemies. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. So first of all, just um, a little bit of, of context to set the scene for where we, uh, where we are at. God has chosen his people. He's led them miraculously out of slavery in Egypt. 
on a journey to freedom in the promised land. And because of their disobedience, they spend 40 years wandering around the deserts. They finally arrive on the outskirts of the promised land and 12 spies are sent to spy out, of, spy out the land. The 12 spies come back, two of them with a good report and 10 of them with a bad report. Uh, the 10 report that, well, it is a, a land of prosperity, but it's full of giants. Uh, how can we possibly take it over? And because of their, uh, the doubt that they sow, uh, they're not able to enter the land. And Moses never enters the land because of the disobedience of the people. It comes to Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land. And that's the whole book of Joshua is this journey of expansion of God's people into the promised land. And uh, before they arrive, the, uh, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have uh, spotted that the land to the east of Jordan is very fertile for those with livestock and their livestock keepers. And so they ask Moses whether they can settle there. And you can read all about it in Numbers chapter 32, that Moses is initially not inclined to let them do that. He says, well, why should you settle here in this prosperous land and the rest of us have to fight our way into the promised land. So they come to an arrangement with uh, uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. There's got to be a shorthand for that, isn't there? It's going to take half the sermon. Anyway, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh say, well, well look, we, we'll settle. We'll build cities for our wives and children. We'll build pens for our livestock. But we'll come with you. We'll send our fighting men with you. And until the rest of you are settled in the promised land, we will walk with you. In fact, we'll go at the front. And we'll help you fight it. Once you're settled, then, then we'll return. And only then will we return. And Moses agrees to that idea. So the, um, the fighting men of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh go with the rest into... Um, and that's the story of Joshua, is how they, they fight their way in. And we've arrived here in chapter 22 with most of the land being settled. Not all of the land has been settled. And in fact... Uh, they never quite expand into the whole of the land that God has promised to them. They never quite get there. But most of it has been settled. And so Joshua says, now it's time for the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh uh, to go home. And he gives them this instruction. And it's these couple of verses that I really want to focus on this morning. Verses uh, 5, or verse 5. This instruction that he gives them. And what I want to think about this morning is how, how do we live faithfully once we're settled? How do we live faithfully once we're settled? And this is what uh, Joshua says to them. Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To obey his commands to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. And uh, the tragedy is that despite the fact that this instruction was given, the people of God very quickly fall away from it. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but um, uh, when you look in Joshua chapter 24, uh, Joshua says to the people, if you're going to settle in the land, you must be careful to obey what God has asked you to do. And very enthusiastically, they say, yeah, 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 no, we'll, we'll do it, we'll do it. And Joshua, you know, he really lays it on the line. He says, no, be very careful to obey 
the word of the Lord. He says, I know what you're like. You're not going to do it. And the people of God, they come back and say, no, 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 we will. We will. We will promise. We will serve the Lord. And the tragedy is, if you, if you look just ahead into, um, into Judges chapter 2, you discover that within a generation, they have abandoned the Lord. It's that quick. You think of all the miracles that they have experienced on their journey into the promised land, the battles that they have won as God has gone before them, God's miraculous provision for them, this land that he has prepared for them, a land flowing with with milk and honey, and all that God has done for them, within a generation, they've forgotten. And let me just read a couple of verses from Judges chapter 2, because it's very, it's very sobering, and it's very challenging for us. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsake, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. Astonishing, it only takes a generation. It only takes a generation for the promises and provision of God to be utterly forgotten. So how do you live as a settled people in the land that God has promised you? For, for those of us who've been following the Lord Jesus for a while, you, you know, it's easy to become settled. Well, how do you live faithfully in the land that God has given you? How do you live faithfully in the life that God has given you and not be tempted to fall away? Uh, Joshua begins with this instruction, be very careful. Uh, there are some things that we have to do very carefully. I remember many years ago, um, uh, after I left school, I went to work in London in a student's hostel um, in the days before there was uh, very much concern about health and safety. And uh, it was in the days when you were sort of allowed to do things that um, probably you shouldn't have been allowed to do. And uh, I was put on the maintenance team of this student's hostel and uh, was allowed to do all sorts of things with, with plumbing and electrics that um, probably now health and safety wouldn't let me anywhere near. And uh, I remember one occasion, it was a very old building, it was, a, a old, it was, an, it was an old hotel that had been taken over and turned into a, a student's hostel, and uh, the wiring was very old in this student's hostel, and the fuse boxes were very old, it was the old ceramic fuses where you didn't have the nice little trip switches that we have now, it's the old ceramic fuses which you had to wrap wire around, and um, some of the rooms we simply couldn't find a fuse box for. And I remember on one occasion having to change, it was a double 13 amp plug, plug socket that was broken and uh, the socket needed replacing, but we simply couldn't find the fuse box to turn the power off to this particular room. So, well, what do you do? Well, well you just do it live. As I say, nowadays you probably wouldn't be allowed to do that, but we just thought, well, we can't turn it off, it's got to be done, we'll just do it live. How do you change a double 13 amp power socket when the power is on? Very carefully because it's a matter of life and death if you get it I can still picture it's one of the sometimes these memories stick in your mind I can picture exactly doing it very very carefully and very very gingerly and taking the live cable out very very carefully and sort of 
bending it to one side and then trying not to touch it while I did all the... Because that's why when it's a matter of life and death, you do things very carefully. And this instruction that, that Joshua is giving to the people of God, it, it, is, it is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of whether or not they will survive in the promised land, whether they'll continue to live in the relationship that God has prepared them for. There are some things that we need to do very carefully. And uh, walking with the Lord Jesus and living out a Christian life is not something to become careless about or haphazard about. It's something that always requires intention. Because if you're not constantly pressing in and pressing forward, you don't you don't stay where you are, you drift back. Uh, in, in a spiritual life, you're either pressing in and pressing forward or you're drifting back. And on their journey, um, it's expanding into the promised land, in a way it's, it's kind of been easier because they've been in a place where they've, they have to constantly be depending on God and looking to God. And when they don't, things have gone badly. And as they've been fighting their battles and pressing their way in, They've had to keep close to the Lord and keep in obedience to the Lord. But now they're coming to a place where they're, where they're settled. And when you become settled, it, it becomes easier to sort of take your eye off the ball, to become complacent, to stop being careful about your relationship with the Lord. And that's a dangerous place to be in to be careless about our relationship with the Lord. So Joshua says, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. And then he lays out, well, what does it look like to live that kind of life? And wonderfully, look where it begins. To love the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God. That's the beginning and that's the heart of the relationship that God's people have with him. That's the beginning of our relationship with him, that we pursue the Lord Jesus not because we have to, uh, not because we ought to, not because it's duty and obligation, and if we don't do it, there'll be trouble. No, it's, it's out of a place of love. It's because God loves us that we walk with him it's because he wants us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be it's because he wants us to live life to the full that's the beginning of the relationship that we have with him it's one of the things that i love about uh, christian faith in a god who is uh, three persons in one god you know, um, understanding the Trinity is not easy. Theologians have been spilling ink for 2,000 years trying to explain and understand the Trinity. But one of the reasons the Trinity is so important is because it tells us that the essence of God is love. It's an essential characteristic of God's nature that he is love. Before God created anything, he knew all about love because love has to have an object. If you begin a sentence, I love, you've got to finish it with something. Love must always have an object. So how did God know anything about love before he created anything? What was the object of his love? Well, it was himself. The Father has always loved the Son and the Spirit. The Son has always loved the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son. They're in this eternal relationship of love and then when God creates, it's an expression of his love. The reason anything exists is because God expressed his 
love. That's why the universe exists. That's why the stars and the planets exist because God wanted to express his love creatively. That's why the world exists so finely balanced. That's why we exist. That's why you exist because you are an expression of God's love. What a wonderful thing to wake up in the morning and be reminded of that I'm here because God was expressing his love in me. I find it interesting that in a, in a culture and a society which has now dismissed the idea of God, uh, dismissed the idea of a God who has revealed himself. Yes, we're, we're still all very spiritual, but the idea that there's a God who has uh, revealed himself, he's created us with it. Now we've abandoned that. What's the, the biggest angst of our society? Well, it's all about, it's about identity. That's why our society is riven with anxiety and confusion about identity because suddenly no one knows who they are anymore. And if you can be anything that you want, how can you ever be secure in the identity that you've created for yourself? Because what if you've, what if you've got it wrong? What if you're supposed to be something other? What if you wake up tomorrow morning and, and feel something? How do you, where does your identity come from? No wonder anxiety is the new pandemic that we're all Riven with anxiety. Well, what if you know that actually you're, you're here, you exist, because God was expressing his love, and the way that he did that was by creating you. Uh, what a glorious way to get your identity, to know that you're loved in that way. And that's, that's the beginning, and, and Joshua says, you know, be careful to keep the commandment and the law. Where does that It begins in love. Uh, God expressing himself, that's why... Jesus, when he's asked about the greatest commandment, uh, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Well, why do we, why do we love him? Well, we love him because he, he first loved us. He first loved us. Our love to him is a response. Paul says in Romans, it was while we were God's enemies that he came looking for us, that he showed his love for us and our our love for him is a response to that. Love the Lord your God. And then he goes on, he says, to walk in all his ways, uh, to obey his commands. Uh, John writes in, uh, in his gospel, Jesus um, uh, says this. Jesus says, if you love me, uh, you will obey what I command. If you love me, You'll obey what I command. Um, you know, when you when you love someone, you want to live in such a way that you will please them. You want to live in such a way that you will delight them. Uh, when I um, uh, when I go to Pakistan, one of the things that we do when we're there is is meet with um, Muslim background believers and uh, hear their stories. And uh, one of the things that I hear time and time again as to why. Um, uh, they've taken the decision to start following Jesus when it's such a costly thing to do is because of this experience of being loved by God, which is something that the Muslims have, have not known with any kind of certainty in their, uh, in their Muslim faith. And uh, one of the things that they discover as they come to Christ is that, is that God loves them. And that's the thing that transforms their lives. And that's what makes it worth the cost of losing so much. Because when you discover a God who loves you, uh, what else do you want to do but respond 
in some way and following them. When I became a Christian at the age of 17, and I realized how much God had loved me and the way that he'd expressed that love through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross. And I recognized that Jesus had died on a cross because of my sin and that he'd gone to the cross because he loved me and because he wanted to save me. I thought, well, how else can I respond to that sacrifice other than by saying, well, I want to follow you uh, for the rest of my life. I want to serve you all the days of my life. What other response can there be to that extravagant expression of love of Jesus dying on a cross? That's what love provokes in us. Obedience to God is not, it's not duty, it's not obligation. It's out of love. The danger, the problem is sometimes that when we become settled in our walk with the Lord, when we become settled in our Christian lives, Sometimes we, we drift because our love for the Lord uh, grows cold. Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us that uh, towards the end of time, uh, soberingly, it, Jesus says the love of most will grow cold. You know, we often think, no, no, my, my, my love for the Lord, that'll never grow cold. Or Jesus says the love of most will grow cold. Cold. One of the letters that um, Jesus dictates in Revelation is the challenge: you're, you've lost, you've forgotten your first love. As I was preparing for um, for this morning, um, that was the thing that that really sort of stuck with me and stayed with me was this this challenge to recover our first love for the Lord. It's very easy when you've been a Christian a long time to just settle and to settle too much, to become complacent. And then that has all sorts of consequences in our lives. I have a, um, uh, those of you who may know the evangelist um, J. John, uh, he's, um, I follow him on Facebook and he's traveling in America at the moment and he posted a picture yesterday of taking his wife out on a date. He said, we've gone out on a date. Uh, and then he just he had a little thing underneath. He said, um, he said if there was more courting in marriage... Uh, there might be fewer marriages in court. If there was more courting in marriage, there might be fewer marriages in court, uh, which is, uh, I, just, I love his little, you know, his little things he comes out with, but it's, it's, there's truth in it, isn't there? If there was more courting in marriage, there'd be fewer marriages in court. If there was more courting in our relationship with the Lord, uh, there might be fewer of us that, that drift. Our relationship with the Lord wouldn't be tempted to drift if we were constantly reminded of how much he loves us and not take it for granted, which is why gatherings like this are so important, why worship is so important, why prayer is so important, why reading God's word is so important. This is his love letter to us. This is the book that makes sense of life. It's when we read of his promises and are reminded of his extravagant grace and love and mercy for us. Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, to hold fast to him. I was um, uh, listening to a friend uh, speaking at a conference uh, a week ago and he was uh, he was talking about religion, and I've always done this thing when, 
Because often, uh, sometimes we get into conversations. I get into conversations with people and they, they discover that I'm a Christian or they discover that I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. And uh, it's, it's interesting the way people respond to the discovery of that information. I don't know if you've ever had this. You start that conversation and the thing that they come back with is, oh, I'm not religious. Have you ever had that? So you get to say, oh, I'm not religious. And um, up until last weekend, the way I've always responded to that is by saying, because I kind of provocatively, is, oh, I'm not either. Because they, they, they say, oh, well, you're, well you're, you're religious, aren't you? Because you're a Christian. And I always respond, because I always have this thing, that, a, a kind of negative perception of religion, that it's, it's about duty and obligation, and it's something you've got to do, and it's all a bit boring. And, um, and actually, my faith is about relationship. It's not about re, you know, religiously doing things because I have to. It's about a relationship with the Lord. But my friend was talking about this, and he was talking about the root of the word religion. And he says the, the Latin root of the word religion is about being tied to something. It's the word that you would use to describe um, a vine tied to a stake so it grows in the right direction. And that's what religion is. It's what you are tied to that shapes the way you live your life. So the next time someone says to me, I have this conversation, and they say, oh, I'm not religious, my response is not going to be, oh, I'm not. It's going to be, yes, you are. Would you like me to tell you why? Because even if you're an atheist, you're religious. Because you have tied your life to a set of beliefs that determines how you live. If you're a secular humanist, you're religious. You've tied your life to secular humanism, and that dictates how you're going to live your life. That shapes how you live your life. So we're all religious because we've all tied our life to some set of beliefs that we, you know, that we follow and that determines how we behave and what we think is right and what we think is wrong. And Joshua says, hold fast to him. Hold fast to the Lord. Why? Why would you want to be tied to this God? Well, you want to be tied to this God because he's the one who says, I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness. Do you want life in all its fullness? Then you need Jesus. Do you want to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be? Then you need Jesus. Do you want to be better than you are? Then you need Jesus. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday and, and they were saying, um, uh, they were talking to someone and they said, oh, your, your faith is just a crutch. Your faith is just a crutch. Uh, well, Find me someone who doesn't depend on someone else at points in their lives. Every single one of us depends on someone else. Every single one of us gets support from someone else in our lives. When we're in trouble, we go to someone for support. Well, what if you could go to someone who actually has all the power of heaven and earth to help you? Wouldn't that be a good person to go to? So Jesus, he's, yes, he is my crutch because both my legs are broken and without him I'd just fall flat on my face all the time. And when I do fall flat on my face, which I do regularly, he helps me up. So I love having Jesus as my crutch because I need one. I have a friend um, who says, uh, when he is asked why he's a Christian, he says, well, I'm a Christian because I'm an idiot. And when I wake up in the morning, I know that during the day to come, I'm going to have all sorts of decisions that I'm going to have to make about the things that I do and the way that I spend my time. And on my own, I will make bad choices 
often. I need someone to help me. And Jesus is the one who helps me. I'm a Christian because I'm an idiot. I need someone to hold fast to. I need someone to hold fast to because life is not always easy. We've already been talking this morning about suffering, the fact that God is with us in our suffering and in spite of our suffering. And you know, why does, why does God allow a world of suffering? Uh, because he loves us. He loves us. People, you know, as you were saying, John, you know, people can't believe in a God of love because of suffering. Well, we, we live in a world of suffering because God loves us. And because when we asked for a world without him, he let us have it. And we live with the consequences of it. And Peter tells us that in his love, he has extended the time so that the most people can be saved. And that's why we continue to live with a world of suffering. Uh, it's not because he doesn't love us, it's because he does. We hold fast to him because he's the only one who can save us. Where does this all, um, all begin? He says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord your God. Um, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Um, finally, he says, hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Serve him. Freedom comes from service. We find life by losing it. I love the way that Paul introduces himself at the beginning of the book of Romans, uh, where he introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a slave. And um, we're so used to reading that, we're not shocked by it. But imagine that the first little church community in Rome meeting in someone's house. This letter is delivered from Paul that they've heard about. And uh, how does he introduce himself? Paul, a slave. And in Rome, uh, two-thirds of the population were free and a third, about a third, were slaves. And if you were free, the one thing you didn't want to become was a slave. And if you were a slave, the one thing you did want to become was free. So for Paul to introduce himself as a slave... Is, is, is shocking, it kind of messes with their, with their minds because all the free people are thinking, why, why are you a slave? What do you want to be a slave for? And all the slaves are thinking, oh, crumbs, that means we've got to stay a slave. But he introduced himself as a slave because that's where freedom comes from. It's about being a slave to Jesus Christ. That's where your freedom comes from. It's serving him wholeheartedly. So how do, you, how do we live as people who are settled in the land that God has given us? How do we live in that land and not do what the people of God do throughout the Old Testament, which is constantly get distracted, constantly start worshipping idols? How do you live in that land? Well, by being very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God. How is your love relationship with the Lord this morning? Do you need to renew your love relationship with the Lord? Do you need to allow him to court you? Do you need to come back to him and express your love for him again in a new and in a fresh way? Are you walking in all of his ways, obeying his commands as a response to that love? Are you is your life tied to him? Is the direction of your life tied to his revelation, tied to this book? Is it his revelation that shapes the way that you live? Is, is the way that our churches live? Is it tied to the word of God? 
so that it doesn't go with the flow of culture, but it, it goes against the flow of culture and shows something different, something better, something brighter. Are we, are we his slaves? Are we finding our freedom in slavery to him? Because it's when we're slaves to him that we find freedom, we find fullness of life. So let me, let me pray. There's a couple of things I thought it'd be lovely to pray for this morning, just give an opportunity for response. One is, is, is just if, you've, if you're not yet in this relationship with the Lord, if you're interested, that's why you're here, if you're fascinated, if you're here because you want to discover more, maybe this morning is the moment where Jesus is saying, is, you know, come, come and join me in this journey. Um, Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter three, verse 20, this very famous verse, uh, which evangelists rip out of context and use inappropriately, but it serves the point, because um, in the context he's talking to Christians, not non-Christians, but anyway, I digress. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and eat with them and they with me. And it's this wonderful picture of intimacy that Jesus says, if you'll, if you'll open the door, I will come in. And maybe this morning Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and saying, will you let me in? Because I want to give you fullness of life. Maybe your heart has become too settled. Maybe your love for the Lord has, has grown cold. Maybe you're here this morning because you, you woke up and you thought, well, this is what I do on a Sunday. And maybe the Lord wants to come into your life in a fresh way so that next Sunday when you wake up, it will be with an excitement to be here and to worship and to be bathed in his love. So let's, let's just pray for a moment. And uh, Father, thank you for your astonishing love for us and your grace, your mercies which are new every morning that we are we are here because you expressed your love and created us in your image. And even though we wandered and rejected you, in your love you came after us to welcome us back, to welcome us home, to give us eternal life. And Father, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who's not yet opened the door but wants to do so this morning. to open their hearts and to say, Jesus, I need you. I've messed up. I've fallen short of your standards. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you fill me with your spirit and help me to walk with you? And Father, for those of us who've grown weary on the journey, whose hearts have become settled, would you, by your Holy Spirit, come now and fill our hearts afresh with the freshness of your love for us. That our love for you may overflow once again. We pray in Jesus' name.